Thank you. Turn in your Bibles or open your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Remember, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Vanity meaning emptiness or meaninglessness. The goal of the preacher throughout this book is to help us escape vanity and emptiness. Let me read this morning, chapter 5, the first uh, seven verses. Um, It's talking about how to escape the emptiness of what we're doing right here. In the house of God. Hear God's word. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And draw near to listen. Rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. To bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven. And you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry On account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands. For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. When I was in college, um, one morning I um, I lived off campus, had uh, my own kitchen and stuff. So I, I ran into the kitchen, grabbed a box of cereal, jug of milk, bowl, spoon, sat down. And I turned the box up and nothing, nothing. And I thought, okay, one of my roommates has barred my cereal. That's okay. I love him. He loves me. But who puts an empty box of cereal back in the cabinet? I mean, it was advertising cereal. And I didn't get none. And that's too late and I got to go. And so... Those hunger pains all morning long reminded me of how vain and empty is an empty cereal box. And I wondered, what else frustrates me like that? Because that frustrated me. And the more I thought about it, I said, you know, what frustrates me more than an empty cereal box is empty people. People who are living their lives with emptiness, with vanity. How many of you have gone out of church some Sunday and said to yourself, I didn't get anything out of that. That was just empty. Because if it was empty, that's vain. Nobody wants to spend the time to come to the house of God and leave empty. And I don't want you to. My passion For each of you as your pastor is that you leave with the fullness of Christ. And you can have that fullness if we guard our steps as Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is teaching us. So here's a passage that will rid you of emptiness, leaving 
the house of God. Great passage for us. I want you to, to really start taking it in. Is there any place where there should be more meaning than in the house of God? In the house of God, you are entering to engage with a holy God who has chosen for himself a holy people, and he puts us here together. You, you come into this place, and you're coming into the fullness of Christ as he comes through his people, through his word, through his sacraments to you. There's no place that is more full than the house of God. So we should never walk out empty. That's just vain, the preacher says. How do we escape that? Because it's happened to all of us at times. We have gone forth, and we don't want that to happen again. So the first words he has, Ecclesiastes 5.1, guard your steps, guard your steps. What does he mean by that? I'll... Just let's look at another passage real quick. It'll be clear. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, verse 26 and 27. Proverbs 4. Twenty-six and twenty-seven says, Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. See, that last phrase lets you know what he's talking about. When he says, guard your steps, when he says, watch the path of your feet, he's not just doing a little practical thing saying, you know, watch out for cow patties. Don't step, step in dog poop or something. That's not what he's talking about. He says, from evil. Don't turn right or left to evil. Going to the house of God is the right thing. But guard your steps, your life in such a way that you're not veering off on an evil path. So you, you begin to have to wrestle with what is evil that I sometimes engage in. Because, you see, what he's trying to get you to understand is if you do so, you're bringing evil into a holy place. And you're going to be talking to, a, engaging with a holy God. If you've turned off to evil and you're expecting to bring that in, it's going to hinder your time with God. Uh, so before church starts, we have obligations. Not turning to the right, turning to the left, thinking about what we're walking in. Are we walking in a mess? Because it's going to be hard to engage meaningfully with a holy God if our life is constantly saturated with evil stuff. Um, I hate to do a survey, but I don't think I'm wrong in, in saying a lot of us probably didn't have a lot of example here. That you probably didn't have a lot of people telling you as you were growing up and as you're growing up now, I want to tell you how to go to church and how to get a lot out of it. I want to tell you how to go to church in such a way that you never leave empty. You will always leave with the fullness of Christ. Well, that's what this is about this morning. And if you've never had that example, 
If you've never had people teach you that, you can get it today. And that's awesome. That you could always find meaning the first day of every week. Engaging with God. And that's what I want for you. Um, give you another quick passage. Look at Psalm 5. Uh, Jonathan read it for our call to worship. I just want to look again at those middle verses uh, that he was reading to us. Just want you to, to grab it real quick. Psalm 5. Verses, just the middle section, verses 4 through 7. He says, you're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. See, we're talking about turning our, our lives from the wickedness. Why? Because when you show up here, God doesn't say, hey, how was your week? And you say, well, I did this and this. God said, I don't have any pleasure in that. Why are you even bringing that up in my presence? We, we've got to understand this relationship we have. He's a God who takes no pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You just imagine coming into God's presence and boasting about what you've been doing this week and what you've been doing this week is really not consistent with God's word. Who would do that? That's not going to make your time meaningful. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness. Catch that? That's the gospel in the Old Testament. Loving kindness, God's mercy, God's grace. Because of your abundant kindness, mercy, grace, I enter your house. At your holy temple, I bow. I will bow in reverence for you. Why can I come? How could I even possibly come and engage a holy God unless he be merciful and gracious? Because I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. And I can't stand in his holy presence without being wiped out. Unless he chooses to be merciful. And he does choose to be merciful to me in Christ. So from the very first steps in when I realize that. Who am I to stand before a holy God? And I realize it's because of his mercy and because of his grace. Already I'm starting to get filled. This is meaningful. This is more significant than any other conversation I've had all week long. And it's because I'm coming before the person who knows everything I have done and thought. And he knows I am evil and wicked. And yet, in his mercy and grace, he says, let me engage you. Let's talk. And let me direct you. Let me be your God. And you be my people. And no one chooses me like that. No one loves me like that. No one but God alone. So how do we guard our steps and come in in such a way that we begin to get that? I, I just really want you to grab this Ecclesiastes 5.1 that he is not talking about physical, material stuff. He didn't say, before you come to the house of God, make sure you take a bath, put on your best clothes, your best makeup, your best stuff, 
See, he doesn't say any of that. That's not what he's talking about when he says, guard your steps. He's talking about our hearts. Think about where you've been walking. Have you been walking in sin, in wickedness, and now expect to waltz in to the presence of God? There's a lot of people that want to focus on the outward. It's the co-category of Christian liberty. You know, what do you wear before a holy God? Do you wear a robe or do you wear jeans? Do you wear a mask or no mask? And it's so easy to think about those kind of things, condemn people for those kind of things, criticize people for those kind of things. That's Christian liberty. We have the freedom to wear the robe or the jeans. We have the freedom to wear the mask and not wear the mask. And we get so caught up in that controversy because we have freedom that we miss the main thing. This passage is not talking about Christian liberty. What do we have the freedom to do? It's talking about spiritual obligation. What must you do to enter in to the presence of God. You must deal with your heart. With your sin. With your life. Because God. He's not interested in. Our outward. Christian liberties. He's given us so many freedoms. To do so much. We get so focused there. And we miss this. Burden to deal with. Our lives. Um. The text assumes we go to the house of God and we meet with God, with his people. How do we escape the vanity? As a dad, I was wrestling with that when my kids were real young, because especially as a preacher, I'd never wanted them to come in church and leave. And I asked them when I got home, you know, how was church for you today? And they said, well, I didn't get anything out of it. I mean, that would just, just kind of crush me. I was uh, uh, talking to Jonathan uh, this week about preachers and preaching, and, and it reminded me what I did as a dad. So I'm going to share some of that with you. But uh, I told him when, when I am on vacation or I'm somewhere and I go into a church where somebody else is the preacher, I said, I typically now never leave the church and say, that preacher just did a poor job. And the reason is because of Ecclesiastes 5.1. I take the time to guard my steps as I come into the house of God. And so instead of looking at the preacher and focusing on the preacher, if, even if he did a poor job of delivering the message, my thought is 99 out of 100 times, the problem was with me. I was spiritually obligated to draw near in such a way that I heard the Word of God. It wasn't about the production on the stage. It was, that should be thoughtful, yes. But it was about the, the pattern of my own heart and my manner before God. Did I approach the Word and the worship appropriately? So when I was a dad... 
still a dad, but when I was a young dad raising kids, I taught my kids uh, the larger catechism 160. You can Google it. It'll come right up. It'll be your first hit. Larger Catechism 160. And I said, this is a passage that strong preachers before me have come up with how to keep worship from being vain. I think it'd be good as a family that we memorize it. Catechism, Larger Catechism 160. The question is, what is required of those who hear the word preached? It's a great question. See, it flips the obligation, not what is it required to be a good preacher, but what is required of those who hear the word preached. And the answer to that question is, it is required of those who hear the word preached that they attend unto it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures After examine what they... Let me just stop. Let me break it down a little by little. What is required of those who hear, hear the word preach? It is required of those... I mean, it's a great question. It's required of those who hear the word preach that they attend unto it with diligence. That's every week. You're diligent. This is something you routinely do. Attend unto it with diligence... Preparation. You've prepared. You've done something beforehand. This is not what you did Sunday morning. This may have been what you did Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. You're preparing yourself to hear the Word of God. Attending to it with diligence, with preparation, with prayer. You're coming to God before you come in His house. God, I'm about to come to your house where you meet with your people. Speak to me, Lord. Your servant heareth can't wait to be with you. I can't wait to sing you praise. I can't wait to bring this tribute you call a tithe, this holy portion before you because you are my redeemer. So you spend adequate time in prayer. There's diligence. There's preparation. There's prayer. You hear the word of God and then you examine the word of God with the scriptures. Beautiful rule. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. Examine the Word of God with Scripture. Even the people who listen to the Apostle Paul in Berea, Acts 17, 7, says they examine what Paul preached daily with the Scriptures, using Scripture to interpret Scripture. So whatever I say, and I try to do that even in my preaching, I give you other passages that examine the passages we're in, so that you're using Scripture to interpret Scripture to get the heart and the thought of God. After you've examined it with the Scripture, says then you receive it with faith. You believe it, faith. With love, you embrace it. With meekness, you want to be subdued under it. And readiness of mind... As the word of God. Catch that? You've examined what the preacher said with the scriptures. And after you've examined it, you've determined this is the word of God. And because it is the very word of God, God is actually speaking to me then I must receive it as the Word of God. With faith, I must believe it. With um, 
love, I must embrace it. With meekness or humility, I must be subdued under it. It's His will. And with readiness of mind, I need to go forth, begin to live it. And it says, the question doesn't, the answer doesn't stop there. Then you meditate and confer of it. You hide it in your heart. You say, God, this is a precious message from you I never want to forget. And then you bring forth the fruit of it in your lives. Now, what if we did that every week? You see, nobody goes away empty. Nobody ever goes away empty if you take engaging a holy God that seriously. You've heard his word. What's required of those who hear the word preached? It's required of those who hear the word preached that they attend to it with diligence, with preparation, and with prayer. That they examine what they hear by the scriptures. That they receive the truth of it with faith, love, meekness. And readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. Hide it in our hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in our lives. The fullness of God requires that kind of preparation. Dads, mom, individuals who've not had that kind of example. Don't let your kids, don't let yourself walk out of the house of God empty ever again. Make your steps sure as you enter into the house of God. That's what he's talking Guard your steps. Think about what you are doing. Because when you do, you'll get it right. Draw near, Ecclesiastes 5.1, to listen. See, this is a serious engagement rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Now think about what does it mean there, just the whole idea of a sacrifice of fools. Uh, in the Old Testament, they were bringing their sacrifices. We bring tithes and offerings. We bring our lives. They were, uh, not, they were pointing to Christ with their sacrifice. And to them, I'm sure at times, it was just all about the, um, the blood and the sacrifice. We're bringing this lamb and We'll cut his throat and we'll pour the blood on the altar. And at times he's like, this is what we've got to do. And this is, becomes their focus. At times we may get caught on that as well. That that's, we're thinking about our dress and our mask and our routines. And we get so focused on those things we miss God. He said, that's a sacrifice of fools. You're... you're you're focused on the wrong things. Don't come with the wrong focus on the sacrifice of fools. i give you a real practical example. Let's say um, Joe is your son, and you say to Joey, Joey, I want you to clean up your room right now. Joey says, doing his video game. Okay, Dad, got it, thanks. And he keeps doing his video game. And you're saying... Joey, I said, right now. Okay, Dad, got it. What is that? That should be the sacrifice of a fool. He's about to get a whooping, right? 
He's doing lip service. He turns. He listens. He hears. He's focused on his video game. The sacrifice of a fool. Not doing what was required of him. Not seeing it was immediate. Not seeing he was in the presence of his father. And it mattered greatly. Um, So his life was empty. It was vain. Evaluate your time in the house of God. God comes to speak. Do you really hear? As the word of God. And do you really respond and bring forth the fruit of it? Because when you do, there's a fullness of relationship that you gain through that engagement with God that's significant and real and meaningful. And it carry with you through the week because it's a word that directs you on how you live. That's what God's talking about. Adequate preparation to the house of God. Active participation when God begins to speak. You participate in it instead of just throwing out some foolish stuff or focusing on the wrong things. Well, the passage goes further. Verse 2 and 3 says... Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. So it's talking about now you're in the house of God and you're engaging God through singing or through prayer. And as you're talking to him, don't let that be vain or empty as well. Um, You know, I had people ask me, say, David, I've, I've been praying and praying and praying, but I just don't seem to be getting through. I said, well, let's talk about how you're praying then. What's making your prayers meaningless? What are you doing in your prayers? It's different in my prayers. How can we shore that up? I'll give you three things that we see in this text. Don't let your prayer be hasty. Don't let your prayer be heartless. And don't let your prayer be heavenly. Now think about these three things. And you begin to get a richness in your communication. The same would be true with your uh, singing as well. First of all, hasty says, do not, verse 2, do not be hasty in word. And then he describes that by, by, by the word impulsive. Or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. So don't be hasty. In other words, think about what you're saying before you say it. Have you ever uh, sat down at the table and said, thank you, Lord, for our food. Amen. Let's eat. That's pretty fast. Do I need to say it again? Some of you probably didn't even hear it. Didn't know a southerner could talk that fast. Thank you, Lord, for our food. Let's eat. Prayer. Let's eat. Did that mean anything to anybody here? Probably didn't mean anything to God either, did it? Don't be hasty in thought. Impulsive in thought. To stop doesn't mean you can't say it fast. God can get it. But have you thought about it? What you're saying. So that it does take on meaning. And it does take on significance. You know, if you were meeting with somebody for lunch today and that person was important to you. Say it's your first date with somebody new. Say it's somebody like your boss 
that you want to engage with on a deeper level. Say it's your grandfather or what, whoever. You say, if it's an important person, you say, I don't want to leave that lunch and have to, when somebody said, how'd it go? So I, we just talked about the weather. What? Really? Obviously, you didn't prepare. You didn't have one good question to ask. One significant thing to bring up in that relationship? That's what God's talking about. When you come before Him, don't be so hasty. Think about the relationship between you and God. Don't just respond impulsively because the worship pastor or the pastor says, okay, let's stand, let's do something. Don't be impulsive. Give it some thought to do it in such a way that it enriches that relationship with significance and value. Pray that way. Don't be hasty. Think about why the words you're saying are important. Second, don't be heartless. He says, um, to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God's in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Think about this God in heaven, us on earth relationship. Let's not be heartless. God, God knows what's going on on earth. We don't really know a lot about what's going on in heaven. So God knows a lot more than we do. We need to get engaged on that level. That God, a lesser being, is coming before a greater being. And because of that, I need to be fully engaged. I don't know about you, but I have to do this probably at least once every other week. When I'm in here, in the house of God, singing songs. And I don't necessarily do it physically, but I'm doing it spiritually. I'm hitting myself on the side of the head as we're being led to sing and I'm saying, David, come on, I'm coaching myself. David, get in the game. What are you doing mouthing these words? You need to think about what you're saying. This is a holy God, and you're a sinner. Listen, man, you're, you are an idiot. These words mean nothing if your heart is not in it. If you're not fully engaged and giving yourself to God. Have you ever been there where you say words, but your heart's not in it? Don't let your words be hasty. Don't let your words be heartless. And then don't let your words be heavenly. Don't try to sound like someone you're not. God's in heaven. We're not. We're on earth. Let's be honest with who we are and where we stand we always stand at the foot of the cross. We always stand beneath God. We're under Him. And our passion is to be subdued to Him. Remember the relationship. And your prayers begin to grow. Your songs begin to grow in value and significance. And you never leave the song or the prayer or the service empty. We must be focused. And he gives us this illustration, I think, 
uh, of dreams, verse 3, the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. I've really tried to evaluate, evaluate my dreams, and I, I usually don't remember them uh, very much. But one thing I've discovered as I, I think about them is I dream a lot more when I'm busy. If I get too busy, I dream even more than before, and all of the dreams are meaningless. They're not really teaching me anything, directing me in any way. Do, do, do your prayers ever seem like a meaningless dream? I think that's kind of the illustration here. Does your singing ever sound like a meaningless dream? It's not really going anywhere and taking you somewhere and teaching you anything. You may be too busy, like me at times. And so you're dreaming way too much. And you've got your prayers and your songs, everything else gets affected because we're being too hasty with stuff. Especially stuff we bring up to God. Too heartless. And not honest about who we are and what's really going on. So make your church life more significant through adequate preparation, active participation. Make your prayers more meaningful by making sure they're not hasty or heartless or heavenly. And then the last few verses, I know I didn't put it on the outline anywhere. That's my mistake. But let's look at verses 4 through 7. It talks about vows. I think this whole section runs together. When you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it. It's, it's again another area of our life where God wants us to have meaning and not lack meaning. And he's, it's, it's just the whole thing about vows. And you know what he's talking about as you read that section. That he says, if you vow, don't be late in paying it. Pay what you vow. He's just saying, mean what you say, say what you mean. If, let's say you, you signed up to join the army, and you know about two weeks in during boot camp or whatever, you say, "I want out." What do they tell you? Nope, that'd be a crime. That'd be treason. You don't get out. You signed up for a contract period, whatever it is—two years, four years, six years. You don't get out. Pay what you vow. They're trying to teach commitment. They're trying to teach follow-through for the success of every mission. Think about your marriage when somebody gets married and then a few years later say, well, I want out. I want to, I want to get out. What do we call that? We call that young and foolish. You're a fool. Why? Because when you got married, you stood before God and people and you vowed until death do us part. That was not a shallow commitment. You don't get out. You go all the way to the end. Pay your vow. That's what God says. And the same thing with church vows. You make a commitment. If you want your life to be meaningful on earth and in heaven, you follow through. If you're turning to the right and the left, you're foolish. He says, why would you make a vow and not pay it? That's just foolish. That's all it is. Ends, verse 7, for many dreams, many words, there's emptiness. Fear God. Revere God. Do it God's way. Uh, the road to hell 
It's paved with, paved with good intentions. Some of you, you've even promised your kids, you know, after supper or after work, we'll play ball. This Friday, I promise, we'll go to the movies. We'll go out. We'll do this. And then that time comes around. Oh, man, I forgot about this, this, and this. I can't believe the number of people come to us. Tell me, tell me about your husband. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your mom and dad. And they immediately start with, oh, he's a good person. Or she's a good person. She, she, she has good intentions. He has good intentions. He, he really wants to do things. What are they telling me? They are describing a fool. Someone who makes vows, makes promises, and doesn't follow through. And we've begun to accept that as life. And it is meaningless life. Empty life. Vain life. And I want you to escape that. I want you to have a meaningful life. It comes through making a vow and keeping it. Follow through. See it to the end even through the difficulties and afflictions that God brings us. Fear God. God, this is what you want me to do. I wouldn't make the vow if you didn't want me to, if it wasn't of you. So now that I've made it in you, give me the strength and wisdom to see it to its end. When the church is living meaningful life, people start tapping on our shoulder and say, how do I have that kind of life? How do I have that kind of significance? And that's what I want for you. If you've been walking out and it just hasn't been getting you, let's stop that. Let's come to the house of God rightly. Let's come to relationships rightly. Let's leave with fullness and meaning and significance. Let me pray for us. Father, at times we we run around from week to week, from day to day without a lot of thought and preparation. You have wisely given us the first day of every week as a day to rest. To rest in you to rest in your truth, the word of God. So that we can not spend our days on earth vain, vainly or without meaning, without significance. Father, you have determined that the church should be the fullness of Christ that fills all in all. Our lives should not be small insignificant matters. We are those you have purchased with your blood. That in itself is of huge value. So Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask that you would forgive the ones here in this place. Forgive us for being so casual and so careless. Not so much in our dress, 
but in our hearts and in our words. Father, let us take on a life of greater significance and meaning than ever before, being fully engaged to you through Christ. For the one Lord here that's never had a really meaningful life, may they see Jesus, that Christ came to give them that meaning by taking them to himself, making them his child, part of his family. Father, let us see the significance of being yours and your family. Use us to share that glorious message with others. Continue to build up and grow and edify your church. For we ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.